Welcome to Gun Owners of America's State of the Second podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee. And I'm John. And today we're talking with Jake from Star Firearms. Jake, how are you today? I am fantastic and appreciate the opportunity and the time to come talk with you guys. Jake, can you give us a little backstory about yourself and a little bit about SAR? Uh, sure. Um, again, my name is Jacob Fair, uh, Vice President of uh, Sales uh, for SAR Firearms. Uh, I've been in this industry for oh, about 30 years um, and uh, various different positions throughout to multiple manufacturers, whether it was product development and sales, uh, even down to the gun counter stages in time uh, and, and a lot of years as a buyer, product development manager. So um, uh, an industry that I am fond of, uh, I love. Uh, started off uh, with passion for the outdoors as, as a kid, um, and it's it's been a fantastic industry to be in. Um, it, it's been a, a lot of fun and just some of the greatest people in the world, um, and so it's it's been a pleasure. Now, being a mainly importer of firearms and, and ammunition at times, what are the biggest kind of restrictions that you see? And let's let's start with uh, ammunition, and then we'll kind of talk about some of the firearms issues as well yeah you know importing is is a different world um and for most people you know especially just they are out there they go to the the general store they pick up some ammunition they go out and they they blow some stuff up and have fun which is what we should all be doing um but in in a perfect world the the opportunity to import ammunition and the processes that we have to go through for it are a little different. Uh, sometimes they're a little more stringent, um, and we're held to a kind of a different standard versus being able to manufacture in the U.S. Uh, and so there's there's actually some costs uh, that incur that that sometimes your imported ammunition isn't as inexpensive as people think it is. Um, and so you know we've all gone through a, an ammo crisis here as of late, uh, which is starting to to windle down, and we're starting to be able to find the the calibers that we enjoy. But you. When when the times are rough, the cost of materials to manufacture uh, are fluctuating differently throughout the world, and and so when you have to manufacture things, we we set out to buy uh, in large volumes f over the course of several years to maintain better costs and to be, be able to maintain that and to be in line to get the procurement of the materials that you need. When you sell through ammunition and all the supplies and materials as fast as we did through COVID and through the riot times and all these things, it depletes everything so bad that you have to turn around much quicker than you anticipated to buy new supplies. And those supplies costs have come up. So when you do it in the United States, um, it's at a different time than say uh, for maybe us in Turkey or over in Bulgaria or Russia when we were getting ammunition out of there. So um, there, there's a lot more to it. A lot of it's behind the scenes that you don't see when you just go to the store and you're like, hey, that's a great deal on some great ammunition. Let's go buy some, right? Uh, there's a bunch of us that putting on a whole lot of weight and pulling our hair out and turning gray real fast, uh, <laughs> trying to make this a, a system that uh, affords people to buy the ammunition they want for the price that's acceptable. Uh, you win some of those battles and sometimes you don't. But. Well, and, and if I... When you look at certain things, like and and you and I are in the same channels when we yep. when we're talking about stuff and looking at stuff uh, from previous jobs, sometimes you'll see an ad when you're in these channels for ammunition at eighteen cents around for nine millimeter. That's not what it is when it lands in the country. There's a lot going on there. Correct. When when you're able to manufacture here, uh, comes off the line, gets put in a tray. The tray gets put in a box. Box put in a case, and it's on a pallet. The pallet's on a truck. 
and then it's driven straight to a distribution center, right? For us, we have to, same process, comes off the line, we package it, but, but then we have to fit it into containers. Then we have to schedule those containers to be overseas to come. And some of those are quicker, some of those are longer. And as those costs rise and fall all the time with the import laws and with the cost of goods and everything going on, that fluctuates greatly. So what you may see here for 18 cents around, that's not the case when we start to import ammunition with the taxes that increased or changed as we start to import the shipping costs to import. So sometimes it's better and sometimes it's not. Um, and so there's, there's kind of a different set of rules that we have to abide. And there will be times where we will flat out, it is just not advantageous for us to bring ammunition over uh, due to the cost of the goods. And, and we want to always be able to present, at least for us and our company, the best bang for the buck, right? And, and sometimes we just have to make those hard decisions and say, it's just not worth the time and energy to bring all that over when the supply is so great and the pricing is where it's at. But times change, and so therefore we look at those opportunities when the the market is changing here. And we had some great opportunities when ammo was super hard to find, and we had buckets of it. Uh, and so we, with our firearms uh, and our ammunition, we were sending over uh, containers every week uh, because we had it. Uh, we were flying guns over every Friday uh, because we had them, and so we were plugging in as much product as we could to keep the business alive during a time where it was a chaotic and you couldn't find anything, right? And, um, and so for us, it was important for us to continue to support uh, the U.S. with as much product as we could for the best quality and price we could. Well, and I, I like how you said you were flying over guns. What people may not understand, and, and a lot of people don't see the logistical side of this, guns, you can fly over immediately, or it, it takes a little bit, but it's almost immediately. Ammunition, it's two months on a boat, and who knows when the boat's going to get here or if that can, what happens if that container gets shoved off because that boat's starting to have issues. And it's all relevant. So you have to also look at, it's not a matter of how much space you can fill. So in a container, you've got the opportunity to fill it to the brim, or you have to look at the weight. And so when, when you start looking at how many rounds of ammunition can I squeeze into a container without going overweight, certain caliber, certain size, you may be able to get a million rounds in a container on certain things, but you may not be able to on other cartridges and other calibers. Um, and yes, you are all subject to the captain of the boat and where it goes and how long it takes to get here. Uh, and so you can't just necessarily throw a container on a flight and, and get it over here like you can on other items. And so the logistic aspects of things, the timing, the, uh, the calendar that you have to work with to try to get stuff over here, it's it's a lot more to it than picking up a phone call and saying, Hey, can you ship me a couple million rounds of ammunition? Right. And what pe you people may not understand is that when you bought that ammunition in, in Turkey or, or wherever it, you paid 18 cents around by the time it got here, let's call it 22 cents around after all the fees at that time of the market, that's a good price. But then the market changes in two months as it transfers over the ocean and now you're, you're 22 cents around ammo where everybody else is at 20, you are way out of price in the market. You do, you, you really, it, it can change overnight. And, and so when you start looking at putting a container on the water uh, and, and it could be a two week or it could be a month, um, 
there's a lot that happens in that ammunition market. If, if you're a super savvy ammunition guy, and I'm kind of an ammunition dork, um, so when you really sit down and you just start really looking, I mean, you can literally watch stocks change that fast. You can almost see ammunition at some parts at a time. You were able to find uh, the price of ammunition fluctuating quite a bit. Um, and it's all a supply and demand. I mean, when you really get down to it, uh, it's a supply and demand type of, it, uh, of an issue. And when the supplies are good, the prices are great. When the supply is not good, the prices aren't so great. And, uh, and so you're constantly trying to manipulate as much as you can to fill all those voids whenever you can. And uh, I, I will flat out say that, you know, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. And there are some guys out there that do the logistics that are if you are a logistics person in this world, you are a hero because the work that they do to get that product where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, uh, hats off. Uh, we've got some just absolutely fantastic people that run the logistics side of shipping and um, they're wizards. Uh, they just do a fantastic job. And, and we've been pretty lucky. You know, we, we've had a really good run uh, and we've had a lot of good opportunities to bring stuff in and look to the future uh, to do it a lot more. Now, to, let's shift a little bit away from ammo. I mean, this is a really good conversation about ammunition, and we're really opening up some doors where people may not understand. But let's take a shift, and, and let's talk about um, the firearm side. And being an importer, specifically, let's let's look at your new revolver that came out, I believe it was last year, correct? Uh, yeah, we, we officially launched it at uh, SHOT Show at the beginning of 2023. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so with um, with that, that revolver had been in Turkey for years. When you are an importer and working with a manufacturer in Turkey that you solely import from, when you look at that, what is the mindset of coming up with a importing a new firearm that maybe people see online in Turkey, or and B, you know, what is the restrictions and stuff for something like? A revolver, because we've we've talked a little bit about semi-autos, but a revolver is a totally different game. It, it is a different game. Um, you know, I, I love revolvers, and and there's such a fantastic market for it, and uh, a sole believer that everybody should own one or multiple revolvers. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, we we had a great opportunity to bring those into the country, and it, it took us a while because um, revolvers are a, are a, not as easy to manufacture as people think they are. Um, there, there's more going on to that simple wheel gun uh, than, than most people think. So to, to make them right takes some time. Um, and then to, to be able to bring them over, we're held to some different restrictions to import that uh, under their point program, right? And so it's not as easy here where fantastic companies uh, can sit down and draw it out on paper and say, hey, we can make this gun real quick. Um, and then go to bat, go to the machine, make it, it's here, it's good to go. Uh, but for us to try to fill some of those voids, we're held to some other restrictions that you're not made in the U.S. And so we have barrel length restrictions, we have size restrictions, we have weight restrictions. We have all these things that we have to make sure all these parameters fit to then be able to bring that in and then have the opportunity to have ATF look at it. They have to test it. They have to vet it um, to give us that green light. And then once we have that green light, then we need to take all those, if there's any changes that we have to make, we have to go back and change or if we're good to go, then we can start the actual manufacturing process. And revolvers, you can't, you know, I love our striker fired polymer guns. Fantastic. <laughs> but those are cookie cutter. I mean, you can punch out, you know, Glocks, Smiths, SIGs, all these wonderful manufacturers, SAR firearms. 
you can punch out a polymer gun pretty well and pretty quick, but a revolver takes a little bit more time. Um, and, and there's same misconception when you look at a, a beautiful over and under shotgun. It's not just two barrels and a trigger and a hammer, right? There's a whole lot going on inside of that gun. And, uh, and so it's time consuming. So where we may be able to manufacture, you know, 10,000 guns in a month, you may be only set to be able to make a thousand revolvers. Um, they're just more meticulous. The timing is more important. Um, and so to, to see it online and go, Hey, why don't we have those here? Uh, you know, it, it's it's a timely process, and some of those processes can be for six months, and some of those take almost a year um, to be able to make sure that everything's the way the ATF says it has to be, can be, and then we fit all the parameters, unless they change their mind. Right. So, so when you, because you are tied to a manufacturer in in, in Turkey, yep. um, when they come out with an, a new design, maybe for the European market. And you start getting phone calls because you know you're going to get a phone call or an email all or, the time. At what point do you go? This is a viable product for the U.S. market. What are the restrictions for that? To co- we talked about because for those of you who don't know, the 1968 Gun Control Act is what controlled the the uh, importation of firearms. Uh, there's a point system. Uh, we talked about this a little bit there's a point system. It all has to do with sporting purposes and this and that. And, yep. you know, when you guys do that, what in your mind, what's the time frame of going, okay, we're getting enough demand for this. Now it's time to import it. Or do you go, Hey, we're getting enough demand, but by the time it lands here, we've priced ourselves out of the market. Well, and that's a, a fantastic question. So for SAR firearms, um, we are connected uh, solely to a Turkish manufacturer called Sarsamals. Uh, Sarsamals themselves uh, is a NATO manufacturer. So we make military and law enforcement firearms for all over the world. Um, but there's always an ear, right? The, the largest commercial segment for firearms is the good old US of A, which is <laughs> the Wild West. And so um, we, there's a lot of attention being, what can we do? Um, the great thing about being on our side is we have the opportunity to work with such an incredible manufacturer that we can go to them and, and talk about the firearms that they already manufacture. But then what does the U.S. market want? What are they looking at seeing? Um, and how can we fill those niches here? Uh, but that being said, being able to manufacture that and then be able to import that in a timely manner, your goal was to be at the forefront of a segment and by the time all the red tape is done and we physically get it here, we're fourth or fifth in line. People have already done it. Um, and or some of the cost values of things have shifted because of the industry shifts. And so we have to constantly kind of keep an eye on that. And, you know, once once you get a steamroller rolling, uh, it, it's hard to turn it off. And so we just have to make those uh, adjustments to things that we have to on the fly. But, you know, our, our new subcompact that we came out with at SHOT Show, uh, it, it's been in Turkey and in production and in service um, for a couple of years. Um, and for us to get that here, it it took way longer uh, than it should have, and it took longer than we hoped and anticipated. Uh, so we're uh, a little late to the game, uh, as the overall industry is to have a subcompact 9mm handgun. Um, so what do we do? we make it so rich with features for the price point that we make up for it. And so we have the ability to do a lot of great things 
being manufactured uh, in Turkey with a, a manufacturing facility that is just top notch. Um, and uh, you know, we, we've talked at length that some of the stigmas that are out there over about Turkey and, and some of their firearms, but uh, to be able to manufacture a handgun in Turkey is not the same parameters, it's not the same licensing, and the restrictions and the oversight is nowhere near uh, as lucid it is, say, for shotguns. And so there's there's a lot more to be able to manufacture handguns in Turkey. Uh, it, it's as bad as our NFA programs here or worse uh, to be able to be licensed to not only manufacture handguns, but also be a NATO manufacturer. And the, the specs and the quality control and the things that we have to meet those standards there in Turkey is uh, huge in comparison to somebody that just maybe wants to make some shotguns. Uh, much more wide open, a lot less oversight. Um, and, and unfortunately, because of that, there are some incredible manufacturers in Turkey that bring shotguns over, and there are others that aren't so aren't so great. And, and so you, as a people, we tend to loop everything into one basket. Uh, and you know, some of the greatest things, I mean, Sarsamals has been in the game since 1880. So 140 years of manufacturing firearms for the world market, uh, you gotta be on top of your game. This episode of the State of Second Podcast is brought to you by Blackout Coffee. Check out their exclusive GOA No Compromise Blend. GOA doesn't compromise on the Second Amendment. Blackout Coffee doesn't compromise on flavor. Check out Blackout Coffee at blackoutcoffee.com and put a little freedom in your morning. They've been in, in manufacturing since 1880. How long have they been stateside? So we've had guns in the United States prior to 2019 and not always under our name. Uh, and so some of the importers were other manufacturers or other companies that were importing our product. Um, at the end of 2018, you know, really big major push into that at the beginning of 19, uh, we came over as our USA um, and really put the push on. These are our guns. We're proud of the guns that we're manufacturing. So SAR is short for SAR Simals. Um, and so now as we go out there and we push our brand and our logo and we say, you know, SAR is everywhere uh, under the SAR firearms side of things, but we're still SAR USA. Um, and uh, really trying to get from that point where it was, I've never heard of SAR to, oh, I think I've heard of SAR. Uh, and on my push and my goal is at the, you know, by the end of this year, it's where can I find a SAR? Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, having this opportunity to be here and, and talk to you guys and also just being able to be out there in the public and, and get our guns and get our brand out there so people can know who we are uh, and feel the quality and the firearms that we're being able to manufacture now is is fantastic. And, and that's I'll, I'll be telling you, that's what makes this business fun, right, is getting out there. The, the people in the Second Amendment uh, world are some of the greatest people on earth. Um, and it's it's a joy to be able to go somewhere you've never been and talk to people you've never seen before, you know, and, uh, you know, Unfortunately, a lot of you don't know how ugly I am out there. So be able to sit there and talk to these people and just have a fantastic conversation uh, because we're all uh, like-minded people and uh, it, it's a ton of fun. So from your perspective, um, obviously we're seeing a massive increase in first-time gun ownership in the country. Um, is it easier for a brand like Star Firearms to kind of make a name in a market that is so hot? One would hope and think, but in today's world, with the advent of everybody has a mini computer on their phone, um, and everybody has that best friend that is a professional about everything, right? <laughs> so, um, and so it, it, you have the name brands. 
you know, and so those are always the first and foremost, unless that individual happens to already know a SAR and has one and loves it. Um, we're, we're not quite at that top of that list yet. Uh, but that being said, when we do have the opportunity to take a, a new shooter, uh, and to bring them in and show them the firearms and really spend some time with them, um, they see the value of what we're offering and the quality that's there. And the spark goes on that, hey, there are some other guns out there that aren't the mainstay, um, the, the name brands that people always associate with that are very good guns. Um, and so sometimes it's, it, it's a tricky one because sometimes it's, it's, it's very easy to show somebody, you know, especially when I can get in there and really have fun with them, uh, to show them why we are what we are and what we do. Uh, but if they've had their family member or their best friend in their ear all day and tell them, hey, you need to buy this brand because it's the best, to remold that, you don't want to tell them that their family member or best friend's a liar. So, right. So yeah, you, yeah. you have to kind of go in and massage that. But, but anybody that has the opportunity to, to get into the fight, you're never too young or too late. Right. And, and so we, we welcome everybody and all, whether you're, it's your first time or whether you've got the collection that rivals the U S military. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. Okay. You know, come get them. No, isn't that so true? I forget who, who said it, um, today on the, the floor, um, at TriggerCon, but uh, someone said that that gun owners are just undiagnosed undiagnosed hoarders, and I was like, <laughs> I, I could see it. <laughs> I wouldn't um, I wouldn't discount that at all. I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it's a little harsh, but but it's true. It's, it's funny because it's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. There's a, there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> So, um, sorry, I totally derailed the, the conversation, no, but, um, so obviously as an importer, you're, you're dealing with, with the bureaucratic agency. We've seen how rogue these agencies have become. We, we've seen now the, uh, the white house has essentially what is, uh, the office of gun control, although they're calling it the, the, what is it? The gun, of violence preservation or um, prevention yeah. office, which again is just going to, to throw so much gun control at us. It's, it's probably ridiculous um, or it is ridiculous. So how do you guys as, as a company respond to just the mass overreach that we've been seeing? It's a tricky situation in that you know, I'm a firm believer that the Second Amendment is not uh, associated to a party. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and this is, I might get on the Jacob Fair soapbox here a little bit, but, <laughs> um, so I'm a firm believer that, that the Second Amendment is for all and everybody. And therefore, we have the opportunity to arm ourselves. And firearms themselves at the get-go, uh, you know, have multi-purposes, right? And it's not all doom and gloom. Um, we have firearms to provide for ourselves uh, for food. We have originally that's, you know, firearms were meant for two things, to uh, sustain our families for food and also the defense aspects of things are there. Um, and then as time has grown, you know, I'm a big fan of pretend, you know, telling people, hey, don't forget, shooting is just fun, right? Mm -hmm. So with that onset, with the government coming in and trying to demonize uh, firearms, um, instead of taking the responsibility of not demonizing them and showing them that, um, you know, you can have a firearm and no harm can come. Um, it, it, it's not the object. 
Yeah. Right. And so we're trying to demonize an object that really is a paperweight until we decide as a human being, unfortunately, uh, human beings make good and or bad decisions. And, and so we suffer the consequences of those. And it, it's no like other industries out there. Uh, every industry has uh, people that misuse their product uh, for good or bad. Um, and, and unfortunately, there are lives that are affected by those decisions in every aspect. Uh, unfortunately for us, because of the limelight, because of the spotlight that is on the firearm, uh, it, it gets more ridicule and it gets more pressure than than others. And so we, we have a red tape and we have a lot that we have to consider when we're going to the market. We want to support the Second Amendment. Obviously, that's who we are. Um, and we want to make sure that we voice that it's it's a lot of education and it's a lot of being able to have people understand that it's not the object that's the problem as much as it's the people. And, and you can point fingers at, I mean, we could talk for hours at what we think causes that. Um, but there's, there's definitely, we have to kind of, unfortunately, we have to kind of play the middle ground um, because we, we have oversight from the government, but we're also very large supporters of the Second Amendment. So yeah. it, it's a it's a touchy line that we have to run sometimes. I think there's two points that I want to hit from what you just said. And the first thing is demonizing uh, the firearms. It wasn't very long ago uh, that the Biden administration wanted to pull all of the hunter education Mm -hmm. and gun safety out of schools completely. Again, removing people from from that on-ramp of understanding the Second Amendment, getting the training um, and the safety training that they needed to, to kind of feel confident in their in their right and start understanding their right, yep. um, which is horrible and is something that we proudly fought against. And then the second thing that you said that I think is also important to touch on is it's bad people making bad actions. And murder is illegal. Assault is illegal. It's already illegal. Like those things are criminal acts, and they should be criminal acts. Hundred percent. You, you blaming the tool is so frustrating. And I know we've been saying this episode after episode after episode, but it's a soapbox worth standing on. It, it really is. Uh, it, again, because a firearm has so many purposes, but unfortunately, it it just gets. Uh, it gets the spotlight on it is turned in a different direction when when we can really look at a firearm and know the points and purposes of all the different facets that it serves. Um, but you don't see uh, the spotlight on various other items that are out there that are used or cause. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I, I use this analogy all the time, but you know we don't we don't see and talk about all the cases uh, of alcohol abuse. And the amount of lives that that ruins and touches. It, it's not that a firearm ruins a life more than the death by somebody that's stabbed with a knife. It doesn't mean that it's a worse scenario for somebody that loses a loved one to a drunk driver. Those are all bad, and they're all affecting lives. The fact that a firearm has affected a life doesn't mean that it's worse, but we demonize it more, and we make it more worse um, as a loss. 
I believe that all losses are bad and you can't predict what's going to happen. And any object in the mindset of anybody that wants to do something bad, they're going to do something bad. So us, as a Second Amendment community, we, we have to stay strong, but we also have to do our part. And we preach about the safety of firearms that goes outside of making sure that our fingers aren't on the trigger, the barrel's pointing in the right direction. We know That's also securing our firearms in our homes. That's making sure that we're standing up as a group that talks about the importance and the safety of firearms all the way through because we're the first ones that get pointed the finger at, but we're also the first ones that unfortunately suffer the wrath of people that have made bad decisions. And sometimes those decisions were because, unfortunately, sometimes uh, Second Amendment uh, people have been a little careless with some firearms and they get into the hands of people that shouldn't have them and then they're used improperly. And so, you know, this is the probably one of the most important times in my personal belief. Um, I'll, I'll say this is a not under the SAR umbrella here, but uh, I, I truly believe that this is the, probably the most important time for those that are involved and appreciate and love the Second Amendment to make sure that we're stepping up above and beyond to make sure that we're doing our part and everything that we teach and everything that we preach and believe in and know about the safety and the value and the education of firearms, that we not only push that and we speak about it, that we make sure that we're practicing that 100%. Um, and if we're doing our part right, the sh- light will shine, uh, I think, a little bit brighter on how we can utilize our firearms and how we can have them in a safer environment um, to help people that unfortunately shouldn't maybe have them or used in an improper way um, by us doing what we say we're going to do, right? And and I think it's going to take everybody um, to to elevate their responsibilities a little more. And that's, I, I really do appreciate that because as a community, <clears throat> we are a strong community. We gather together when thing we're getting attacked on. We need to gather together. We're bringing in these 9 million new gun owners. We, we've harped on that number. We've harped on it. But it's true. We, we're bringing in people that months or years ago th- said or to you or to me that I will never own a gun. The gun is, And then a few years ago, they call you. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I got calls, I got texts. Hey, what should I get? What do I need? What do I do? And to help them as a community, we should go in and go, first off, we should seek proper training and make sure that we, we take a training class or do this, but also to pass on that knowledge to the next generation or to somebody who may not know anything about firearms, to pass on that knowledge. Because once you get into this, you are hooked. <laughs> it is a fun uh Hobby, it is an expensive hobby, but that's the joy of firearms ownership. I don't know about you guys, but I know I've taken people to the range who have said they don't like or they were never going to. I know, Kaylee, you have this experience where they, I don't want to try it. And next thing you know, they're trying it. Or you go to the range and the guy next to you has something that you've never seen, but you've seen it in a magazine. Like uh, when I went to Range Day and saw the Star 9 Sport. And I picked it up for the, I've, I've seen this in all the magazines. I'm going to try this. And you go try it, and then you find a new love for a different platform or a different gun. You know, 
And that's what I really think we need to do as a community is come together and invite people in. And we're really good at it, but we need to get, continue this growth of our community because the more people we have in our corner, the stronger we are. A hundred percent. And I've had the fantastic opportunity to take kids all the way up to senior citizens, right? Um, out shooting for the first time. And, and I can honestly, I cannot think of a single time where somebody hasn't turned around with a huge grin on their face. As apprehensive as they were, um, to start with, once they kind of curbed that fear and they got into it and they pulled that trigger, it was amazing. And everybody has a smile on their face. And so, again, I, I, I'm a big fan of understanding that guns don't have to be evil. They don't have to just be under the, I'm going to defend. And we have the opportunity, again, to provide food for our families. We have the opportunity to come together as a family and go and spend a day at the range and shoot and have fun. And at the same time, teaching each other safety, teaching each other the importance of the firearm. Uh, You can go spend a lot of money and go sit in a movie theater and just watch fantasy. Or you can go buy some ammunition and get out to the range and have some fun as a, as a group of people or a family. Uh, shooting is fun, hands down. But what you get out of that fun is then the ability to know that you can provide for your family and or if the safety aspects of things and you need it to defend yourself, you can. Yeah, and one of the things that we haven't discussed a lot is the narrative that surrounds firearm ownership from the demographic standpoint. Forever the narrative has been old white men. Like, point blank, that has been the stereotype that's been the soundbite of the anti-gun left. And what we're seeing with these new gun owners and these new people in that are joining this community en masse, you're seeing more females. You're seeing more minorities. And the melting pot of the Second Amendment It is not just what you think. And I don't want anyone to be listening to this podcast and and being like, well, you know, I may be thinking about firearms, you know, I'm I'm consuming all of the content, but I don't know if it's right for me. I don't know if I'll find a place within the Second Amendment community. I challenge you to go to a range and just talk to people. We're a very welcoming group. And, And generally... Um, we are very opinionated. Don't ever ask what, what caliber is best. You will never end the conversation. We, we, can, um, we can do another podcast about that one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean but, two old wars? <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, though, there is such a, a um, almost, I, I would go as far as to say a renaissance within the firearms community in which there are so many new groups of people and so many uh, new um, advancements within the the firearms industry that has just allowed the community to really grow and thrive despite all of the things that are against us. And, and man, this administration has put a lot against us. Um, but it's it really is phenomenal to see that growth. Yeah. And over the course of the several years, it's been so much fun. And, and I've said it for years, and, and I'll still say it. Uh, you know, a firearm has no uh, bias. It it is an everybody object. There's no party line. There's no race line. There's no gender line. It is a an object that can be used by all 
uh, that will learn and understand and run it in a safe manner um, in any aspect. And, and there is no age gap. Uh, I know several people. I've got um, five kids, uh, and they all enjoy shooting. Um, and I have four daughters, and they're absolutely amazing. And uh, I won't. Well, I just tell you this on. I won't let them hear this podcast, but some of them shoot better than I do, um, and, <laughs> and so they they do fantastic. But to be able to see, you know, just looking at the youth aspect of things, not to mender, you know, when you talk about a female or you know older, it doesn't matter. Um, don't be afraid to find somebody because there's a gun out there for you, um, and and there's a group that you can be involved with and feel comfortable. One of them is GOA. One of them is. <laughs> well, Kaylee, you brought up Renaissance, and we, we've touched on this briefly with other people on this podcast. Jake, you've got 20 years on me in the, this industry. I was say, you're calling me old. I know. <laughs> but what we, we've talked about this, and the, the culture of the guy behind the counter being this old, grumpy man who was like, you need a 1911, Sonny, because two world wars, or going to the females and going, you need a snub nose has changed drastically in the last seven years, five, yeah. ten years. Yeah. A lot of them are becoming more educated. They're recommending different products. It used to be like, and you've, you've been behind the counter, so you know, like it used to be like, that guy's a Glock guy, that guy's a SIG guy, that guy's a Smith & Wesson guy. He's going to recommend only Glock 19s to whoever walks in the door. He's going to recommend shields to whoever walks through the door. This guy's going to recommend 320s to anybody who walks through the door. Now... When you come up to the counter, it's more of, hey, what's your budget? What's your price point? What's your this? Hey, let's find the gun that meets your features, the advantage, the benefits of everything. These guys have learned a lot more. And I don't know if that's because there's a culture shift. I don't know if it's because, you know, they're watching you and, and, and bring in more of this content from YouTube and other platforms. But we're seeing them be educated where... Back in the day, your the Tsar Turkish nine millimeter handgun would be thrown off into the corner of the counter, and the store would have brought bought five because there was a deal at a buy group show, and it sat there, and then they'd clearance them out, and some people would buy it, and that would be it. Now it's more like, hey, you know, your price points X, Y, and Z. Try take a look at this Tsar, or take a look at this Tsar, or whatever. Do you see that same culture shift? Yeah. Um, you know, first off, I, I will say that uh, SAR firearms owners are the best owners. Just saying that. <laughs> no. um, but it, it's very true. The, there's so much. And I think a lot of it really comes down to multiple things. One, uh, social media. A, as many outstanding things that there are with it, you know, and as many woes about social media, there's a lot of greats and there's a lot of not greats. But we have the ability to sit around and become almost, um, without really thinking about it, you know, the educational aspect of things is huge. And so when we have the opportunity to really tell our story on the social media side of things, but we have the opportunity to get into that dealer base and we talk to the dealers, the biggest thing I think that we found over in, in short time, you, you look at a nine millimeter, you know, a nine millimeter of yesteryear is not the same as our nine millimeter of today. Right. With the advancements of material, the advancements of engineering, the advancements that we've had through technology, we've really been able to do things with firearms that you couldn't do back when grumpy old Stan was selling you a gun out of his smoke shop slash gun store. Uh, and 
the firearms themselves have changed so much that it it's made it so much more user friendly that it's really welcomed a, a very diverse group of people um, to where there is almost a firearm to fit any need for any individual, whether you have weaker hands, arthritis, and you have smaller hands and grips. There are so many advancements that we've seen. So we've really seen that opportunity to come in and, hey, it's not just you need a 1911 there, son. It's what kind of firearm are we looking for? I'm also a big believer that firearms are also somewhat of a tool, and not every firearm does every job perfectly. Um, you know, so this is my ploy to buy more fun firearms, right? But <laughs> you you have the ability to have a gun that's going to do this job for you and fit this individual for what their needs are, which may not be the same. So if I'm buying a gun for myself, my wife's gun um, may be different. You know, she's the one that'll buy that 1911 and, and run it like a champ. And I'm the one that's buying the subcompact nine millimeter, right? Um, or vice versa. Or And so I think with the advancements that we've seen over the last, even the 10 years, five years, 10 years, it's really opened up a lot to where guys like us have more of a, um, a leg to stand on. And we have those opportunities to fill some of those niches that other manufacturers may have missed or oversee or overlook. Um, you know, with our, our new Gen 3s that we have on our new SAR 9 Gen 3s, you know, those guns are coming with full set of night sights, cut for a red dot, a new flat trigger, uh, more ag- aggressive slide with more serrations. And I mean, the, the value that we're getting out of that gun uh, to the public is fits anybody, right? And so we allow that opportunity for any walk of life to come in to be able to find a gun that fits their needs and fits their niche and to be able to go out and, and run that gun. The more we shoot, the more fun we have. The more fun we have, the more we shoot, but the more proficient and the better we are at it. And I think that's the biggest th- thing is, you know, shooting is just not a let's pick up a gun and run a mag through it and not see it for a year. Uh, again, it comes down to shooting is fun. And the more we do it, um, the more responsible we are with it, uh, the more accuracy we get, the more confident we get, and then we're more, um, you know, we're, we feel better to be able to conceal carry, we better to be able to service and, and field questions for family and loved ones that may start getting into it for the first time. Um, and we're just all around just more educated. Yeah, and one of the things not to, to bring down the mood is this education largely starts for most people behind the gun counter. A lot. And we're seeing this attack um, by the ATF with the zero tolerance policy. GOA currently has a case for those people who might not be familiar with the zero tolerance policy. It is allowing the ATF to revoke their license to operate. It immediately puts them out of business um, for as little as a clerical error. And so this is a massive, massive problem because what you're seeing is you have fewer and fewer gun stores because of the zero tolerance policy at the same time that you're seeing more and more gun owners. And so you're you're limited on your choices to, to go and, and maybe see different trainers that are working at different ranges to be able to see different product offerings. But let's also for, not forget that the firearms industry is subject to the same supply and demand issues. And so the less competition that you have in your local area, it also drives up the price. And so all of these things or the wait list, um, and there's, there's so much down the line that, that, that this affects for the, the gun owner. So you might be thinking, Oh, well the zero tolerance policy, it really doesn't have a lot to do with me as the gun owner. 
but oh, it does. And and that's why, you know, this podcast exists is to help thread that needle for people. I think anytime that you start to put a restriction on anything in in the firearms, it, it's going to adversely affect everybody, whether they're attacking the dealer side of the business or the consumer and the owner side of the business. Eventually, uh, it will affect everybody. And and I, you know, again, I say that, you know, probably now more than ever is our our opportunity as dealers, as consumers um, and as Second Amendment advocates to really stay up on what's going on. Uh, don't be afraid to, to voice it. Don't be afraid to go out and support it. Um, you know, not so long ago when, when I had opportunities to work with ATF hand in hand, um, there was a, a group of us that would go meet with the ATF uh, at their headquarters and sit down and discuss all of the regulatory issues that are out there. And uh, as big as the ATF is, um, there are a lot of misunderstandings inside of the ATF on itself, let alone what they're trying to enact upon us as dealers at the time to to follow. And when you would bring up something that they thought wouldn't exist, uh, y- there's red flags. Um, and so I think that it's it's become such an issue where there's not definitive. Um, and so there's a lot of things that aren't written in stone, but you may suffer the consequences of an investigator that has an opinion. Uh, and the opinions can sometimes affect what happens when you have... Um, you know, if a lot of people don't know, when, when ATF comes in to do an audit, you know, they look through all your paperwork, they look through your inventory, they do all these things. Um, and sometimes the things that they decide that you're not doing right aren't spelled out in stone in any of the ATF literature. Uh, and so then you have to really sit down and describe that and discuss that with them. Uh, and, and so sometimes there's, there's a void there. Um, and so for the ATF to come back and say, you can't make any mistakes when we could very easily turn around and show them the multitude of mistakes. Uh, it's not a same playing field. Um, and, and I think that's part of the problem is you're holding uh, other people to a higher standard than yourself. Uh, and and that's, that's not the way that things should be run. If you're going to regulatory f- and have policies and procedures over other people, you need to be on top of your game and you need to be the professional at it. And when you've got as many you know, issues as, as some poor dealer that's out there trying to make a living and, and run an honest business. Um, the oversight there doesn't quite match. Yeah. And the, the worst part about this is not just that, you know, they're worried about something that they didn't know existed before it was manufactured, but it's this redefinition. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's things that have been approved for a, a very long time. We go to the, the pistol braces, 40 yeah. million, and then one day, you know, let's just redefine it. The the frame and receiver rule, all of this stuff that the, the ATF is doing, all the way back to the redefinition of a bump stock as a machine gun, which is ludicrous. I mean, it's been so frustrating to have to deal with a, an agency from, from GOA's perspective of educating gun owners, of helping them take action, and then fighting them in the courts when they're just redefining something it feels like every day. Yeah, and, and keeping it vague, right? So if you keep it vague, then you can kind of make it up on the fly, right? That's my personal feeling is if, if you had a defined definition of what it is and this is what it is, then that's what it is. Um, if you're going to keep it vague, then it's left up into interpretation. And so whose interpretation oversees somebody else's, right? So that's where we started to get into the sticky parts. 
And, um, and so it's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating as a manufacturer to make sure that we're constantly staying up on making sure that everything that we're supplying fits all of those narratives, right? Uh, it's frustrating as a dealer trying to stay on top of all of those changes. And I don't know anybody outside of a lawyer that knows legalese all that well. And so trying to decipher all of that is just a nightmare for most people. Uh, granted, I'm sure 80 90% of 100% of the people are smarter out there than I am. So they're able to go through and, and probably get that. But there's a lot of people that, that it's not clear. And so to, to put the onus on a consumer, to put the onus on a dealer that has to be perfect when you writing your policies are so vague, again, it, it's not apples to apples. Um, and, and I think that's a, a large part of the problem that we're running into now. And, and hopefully as more dealers, more gun owners, and more Second Amendment advocates start to be able to stand up, uh, then then we make them more responsible for what they're doing. Well, you, you speak of frustration, and you said earlier, um, when you go to import a gun, and you may be beat to the market because of all the red tape that you have to go through. Yeah. You know, what is that level of frustration for you? Because you may have something that's first in the market, and now... The, because it may get launched in Europe because it, there's a market there. Now everybody in the U.S. who can who can see that go, okay, there's a demand for this, make their own version and bring it to market before you can even get it into the country. It's got to... There's a lot of frustrations to it. And, you know, we love to think that we've got fantastic ideas and, and, and some opportunities to fill a market or a niche that, that we feel maybe avoid. Uh, and so for us to be able to manufacture and get that here in a timely manner, it, it leaves some exposure and it leaves some opportunity to leave things on the table. Uh, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, once we start the path, we finish the path. Um, and, uh, despite what may come out in the process of, um, we're going to do our best to continue to push, uh, the firearms to the market that we feel the market needs. Um, and if we're first to the game, we love it, but we are not. That's fine because we know the quality of our firearms are are there. The the availability to buy that gun for the right price uh, is there. And so, even if we may get beat on something and we may not be first to the market, uh, we're very confident. And I personally feel uh, that we're as equal or better than a lot. And so, we're still going to bring that to market. We're still going to offer that firearm. We, we've started that patch, and, and we're going to start what we finish. Um, and, and we'll take as much of that market share as we, as we can. Uh, and hopefully we do a good enough job to entice the consumers to come into our dealers. Uh, and that's where that relationship really starts. You know, our job is to manufacture a really good firearm. Our job is to create the demand to the consumers that want to go find that firearm. And then our relationship starts there with the dealer to buy and stock that firearm. And then that's where that symbiotic relationship really comes into effect is we're doing our job to build a fantastic firearm for a great price. Then we're going to go out and tell everybody, this thing is awesome. You guys should go check it out. But if the dealers don't step up and support us like we're supporting them, then you can't find it. And so that's that's what makes this whole thing work, is our dealer base is the lifeblood of our whole industry. And so we love our dealers. And so we want them to be able to stand up, and we want to be able to push that. So we have people come in and say, hey, I saw a SAR in an ad, and I really want to play with that gun. Do you have one? And he's going to stand up and goes, you bet. You know what? We just got some in and they're phenomenal. Come get your hands on them. Let's play with them. Let's look at them. Let's show you how great these are. Uh, and then, you know, we finish that relationship. 
Um, and, and that's what makes this whole thing go around, right? And so I think as we continue to do our part and we find the relationship with great people in this industry, um, we're able to continue to drive this business going forward. All the frustrations, all the loopholes, we keep on ticking, right? We keep coming back. We keep finding ways to be able to make and supply the firearms to the people that need them and want them. Um, we just have to stay on our toes, right? And, and we've just got to be vigilant at what we do. Yeah, and historically, and I, w- I want to look at Turkish manufacturing re- again real quick. Historically, Turkey has been called the copycat of the of Europe, right? Um, and what I see there, people always push it down because, oh, it's a copy of this or it's a copy of that, where really it may take design aesthetics from this or design aesthetics from that or a piece – and they put it together. I want that because that's like the best of everything. And for somebody who's shot a lot of guns and a lot of Turkish guns, I see where they have maybe taken design cues. I wouldn't say clone, but design cues and put it together to make a phenomenal product at the end of the day. And I know that when in a previous area I, I shot the SAR 9 sport yeah. and I noticed there's some small little design cues that you you look at and you're like wow what do you have to say about you know people saying those things or how do you combat that well I think you have to look at you know if you go back in the follow the history of firearms the lineage goes all <laughs> back to a few right yes. and uh, without being a cynical person and without trying to you know poke fun at, at different things it's like you know, when people come up and say, oh, that's a clone of this. And that's, well, that's like saying every 1911 is a clone of a Colt Knight. What do we call that? No, we call it a 1911, right? And so, uh, you know, everybody out there started from something um, and then changed it or made improvements upon. Um, and so we've had the opportunity to look at a lot of great firearms and come with a, our own um, and or possibly look at some every opportunities to improve upon uh, other items that have been out there. Um, and so I wouldn't say that that we're any different than anybody else out there that sees a great idea and goes forward with it. And how can we make it ours, whether it's in the materials, uh, whether it's improving upon some weak points in, in other manufacturing. Um, everybody has that opportunity to start with something and make it their own. Uh, and that's what we've done. We've been able to take some fantastic firearms uh, and really elevate them. And they're not a clone of anybody else. They're ours. Uh, and we manufacture them. And there are uh, our creations that we've been able to come up with and we own them and, and we put our passion and our soul and our heart into making the best gun that we can that we feel uh, is representative of the things that we can manufacture. Um, and then we push those out to the market. And so my say to those that say that is come put your hands on them. They're not going to bite you. <laughs> come put your hands on one. Come feel one. Come play with one. Go shoot one. Um Come find me, and, and we can sit down and we can discuss it in detail, um, all the great things that are offered. And, and Turkey is an absolute fantastic country, uh, and, and they make some of the greatest firearms out there. Um, and so I think, again, when we talked about the shadow and, and some of the negativity that's out there, you, don't, you, you can't always judge one by a whole, right? Um, and, uh, and so for all those naysayers out there, I, I say – Come put your hands on some and let's play with them. And then let's talk about it after that. So switching gears a little bit, uh, another big 
target that has been put on the firearms industry came from the the Safer Banking Act. Um, for those that might not be familiar, there was uh, a bill introduced that has to do with just the the financial system in general. It had a has a significant amount uh, to do with the firearms industry and potentially vilifying the firearms industry. Um, we've seen this with American Express and Discover um, also targeting um, the industry and, and gun ownership. Obviously, this has massive repercussions at every level. What is your take on on something like this and this massive overreach? I, I look at it twofold. Um, it's frightening that that they've gotten to the point where they're going to circumvent and, and go after financials um, because there, there should be a safe place in, in our country that has been founded upon entrepreneurship and, and being able to make a business and, and thrive. Uh, and yet we're going to, we're going to pick on a, a small group. Um, and, and the fact that they can let that happen to uh, try to push things into the firearm side of things when there's a, a whole host of other things that get overseen and overlooked um, just shows, I think, partially, um, you know, and, and I say a lot of this not necessarily as a SAR firearms brand, but me personally, um, I, I, you know, I, I think there's some desperation there, um, and, and which means that it, it didn't work the first several times that they've tried to take guns away from U.S. citizens. Uh, so... What are their other recourse? Where are other places that they can? They're going to find every avenue. They're going to explore every channel uh, to get their point across. And so we have to stand up and we have to make sure that that they understand that we see what they're trying to do. Uh, and then we need to stand up and say that it's not right. Um, and if you're going to make it a, a playing field that's even. If you if you open up that box where you say that you can go and sue a manufacturer for making a firearm that was used in, in a horrific crime, even though that wasn't the manufacturer, that's like saying now that I can go after any alcohol company that made the alcohol, but an individual used it and ended up having, you know, an accident and taking a life. You're opening up that it's it needs to be a fair playing field. Uh, and it, you cannot, uh, in our world... Uh, should not be able to focus in and really hone in and pick on a specific um, category uh, or an industry like the firearms industry uh, and, and not make it a level playing field with several other industries. Uh, and when you start to do that, uh, you start to create more division. And when you start to create more division, uh, things can get heated. And, and I think that the more level-headed we are and we understand uh, the better off we're able to to combat um, the things that we don't think are right. You know, we, pay attention to who you're electing, pay attention to the products you're using, pay attention to your financial institutions, uh, and, and stand up. You know, they, we don't work for them; they work for us. And and I think that's so important. So for those of you who are listening that might not know this, but every um, election cycle, GOA publishes the grades. Of, of everyone at the federal level, how they voted. You can see who is an A, who's a B, um, who's a C, or, or God forbid, an F. If you live in those districts, 
one, you, you should have stayed up to date in the beginning because you probably should know, know roughly where you stand. Right. But it's so important because a lot of times during the campaign season, everyone comes out with their ad. You know, I support the Second Amendment. But where they're... But they have to put their money where their mouth is, right? They have to vote appropriately. And you as an individual have the ability to truly let them know where you stand. You can go to gunowners.org right now and just scroll through a list of everything that you can take action on. And you can email your representatives because ultimately they work for us. But if they don't hear your voice, then how are they supposed to know how to represent you? Truly. And I get very, um, well, here I am on my soapbox again, just for <laughs> every episode. Just, But it is so important that we hear the complaints, we feel the complaints, and, and we want to fix the problem. But ultimately, it comes down to that personal responsibility. You've, you've probably heard me say this now 500,000 times and it's, it's GOA's definition of what a gun rights activist is. I, I think it's one of the core pieces of, of who we are as an organization. And, and the definition is this. A gun rights activist is someone who takes personal responsibility, not only in the use of their firearms, but in the defense of their right to own them. It is so critical that each of us understand that we have to let our voices be known. We have to take the time and set an alarm on our phone to once a week check in because the attacks are so strong, but we have to let our voices be stronger. 100%. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. We're going to get you a soapbox now. <laughs> I'm going to have it at SHOT Show. It's going to be the, the myriad of gifts you're getting for SHOT Show. <laughs> Whatever. Um, it's a good soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the that's the uh, the sub content for for the social media. It's yeah. just Kaylee's soapbox. So it's a playlist. Yeah. Go check it out. <laughs> hey, it's fantastic. Uh, again, you want to make a difference. Be that person that makes a difference. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about the new Gen three. Let's let's kind of break that down because that is new. That's exciting for you. That's launching. That. Well, it's awesome. Let's uh, let's do a two two part question. Okay, as a importer, because we we've asked people who are manufacturers this as an importer, maybe a little bit different. What is it like before a launch, and what is it like after the launch, during the launch, and then talk about the new product? I you know it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I love uh, this industry, and and I'm a product geek. I love stuff. And so to be able to be on the product development side of things and, and listen to the people, what are the people really seeking for? What do they want in a firearm? Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, not just what I like because nobody's as weird as I am and I like weird stuff. So you try to go and find, you know, what do the, the overmass of the consumers really looking for in a firearm? Uh, and then you put a lot of time and effort and, and sweat and tears into, into making what you feel is fitting that niche. And so when you start to look at guns and in, in a lot of us that have been in this industry for a long time, uh, see this evolution in the firearm, right? And what are people buying guns, but then what are they turning them into? Right? So that whole evolution in making a gun yours, uh, is more prevalent now than it's ever been ever. Uh, and so it, it's a lot of fun to see the creativity that people have. Um, so when we developed the gen three, we said, Hey, what, what are most people wanting to do with their guns? And let's offer it to them for them. 
and and let's take some of the work out of it for them, and, which inherently makes the cost go down. And so when we developed it, but I'm a big fan of also believing that if you're going to do things to a firearm, they need to be functional. Anybody can just drill a hole in a slide and it looks cool. <laughs> but what's the functionality purpose of that, right? So not only can it look cool, but does it function? Does it help improve the firearm, whether it's the firearm itself shooting or whether it's you manipulating that firearm? And, and so for us, uh, for those that are out there and you have an opportunity to come see, um, our SAR-9 has gone into a, a new generation, what we call the Gen 3. Uh, and, and we've also incorporated our subcompact into what's a Gen 2, but it has the same features and slide as our Gen 3. And so really what we've done is we've created that slide to make it more purposeful, useful, uh, to where we have much deeper and better slide serrations to manipulate the slide on the rear. We have more... Uh, slide cuts on the front of the slide, but that are also, again, purposeful in being able to uh, get a better purchase on the front of that slide to manipulate it, whether you've got gloves or, you know, cold hands, wet hands, whatever the case may be. But it also lightens up that slide when you have now our red dot cut. Uh, and so every slide that we have on our Gen 3s are cut for an RMS C cut red dot. Then we throw on a full set of night sights and a new flat trigger. Uh, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck uh, on a firearm that just runs incredibly well. And so it takes a lot of that, hey, I'd love to buy this gun, but I need to do a new trigger. I need to, I, I want to do, I want to do. And it puts it already built in that gun for you. Uh, and then on top of that, we have some really great colors. Um, you know, so we offer them in black because, you know, black is black. But you have OD green. I'm a huge OD green geek and I love it. Uh, we have a bronze that's a really, really nice uh, color and then a platinum that's a little bit darker gray. Um, and, and so it, it has that opportunity to still give you the opportunity to have a, a gun that looks really nice. You still have opportunities to outfit that gun with accessories, but it's a purposeful reason to have those pieces and parts there. So then we put all this stuff together and then we were able to be here at TriggerCon and we're able to put it out there for the people to pick up for the first time. And the instant somebody picks up that gun and just goes, wow, that thing feels amazing. It's like Christmas, man. You, all this hard work, everything that you thought you're hoping, you're praying, you're like, please, dear, all the totally uh, let people see what we're trying to to do. Uh, and, and they get it right. And it's so much fun to be able to sit there. Uh, and, and I've been able to do this with other manufacturers as well. And, and it's a lot of fun to be able to build this whole thing uh, and then bring it to the market and then get it into the hands. And when people shoot that, we were happy to be at a, at a fantastic event with uh, primary arms um, uh, last week out in Wichita. Um, and thank you, uh, Wichita. You, you guys were fantastic. Um, and so, or not Wichita, that's here. It was in uh, Dallas. It was a uh, Waxahachie. Um, also great people. So we had a great <laughs> time there with Primary Arms and, and we did a, an event there. And and the feedback that people were coming, who've never touched our gun, that probably didn't even know who we were. Uh, I had an opportunity we did, to talk about the company, took them put the rounds downrange uh, and have them come back and just mind blown on, on how great that firearm. It's a lot of pride. It's a lot of satisfaction. Um, it's, it's a lot of pats on our back, you know, that, that we've done what we set out to do and, and we feel and think that, uh, that we, we heard the call, right. And we heard the people in the, say, these are what we're looking for. And, and we delivered it. Um, it's a ton of fun, you know, and, and again, that's what makes this industry so fun. Uh, it's the people, it's the being able to go and listen to them and talk to them and, and try to put together a product that they're seeking for. And then when they are able to pull the trigger on it and you see the smiles and, you know, all the, the great things that people say about them after they're able to pull the trigger, it's, uh, 
it's just a lot of fun. And, and I've been super happy and super blessed to be with SAR. I think it's just an amazing company. Um, and the firearms that we're able to produce and we're putting out now on our Gen 3 series, but also our SOCOM, um, are, are just incredible guns. And they look amazing, but even more so that they shoot incredibly well. Well, I need to try out the SOCOM. I've tried, I handled the Gen 3 today. And I think the first words out of my mouth are, wow. Like, I, so I handled the Star 9 Sport. Again, same thing. I was like blown away by it. Um, did a full test and evaluation of it. Really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and I think that's what people need to understand is there's so many good firearms out there that may not have the, the brand recognition as some of the bigger names. But SAR is such a big company and well built and built for NATO and every, you gotta go try these things. And I'm, now I'm on my soapbox, <laughs> um, you know, talking about the industry. I'm I'm as big as an industry nerd as you are. You know, we've we've sat and had industry conversations <laughs> for hours about things like this. But I, I love to see when companies listen to their co- consumers, listen to input, go in and go, hey, this has got to be functional. Uh, and it has to work and it has to do, it doesn't need to be aesthetic um, where we've seen some slide serrations in the front that have been aesthetic uh, and, and not to name any names, but you know, I do want to see one in white. I want a stormtrooper version. Let's just check that out. Cause those are cool. Sarnine CX storm. Yes. I know a guy, you know, a guy. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> it's funny how every time we do this, we know a guy. Um, it's almost like they're the guest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, Jake, where can people find SAR firearms? Yeah, any any you know information that you may have, any questions that you may need answered, uh, sarusa.com, uh, Instagram, uh, sarusa official. Uh, check us out. Give us a like. Follow us. Um, have any questions? Uh, don't hesitate. Reach out, and we're happy to put you in the direction that uh, that you need. Uh, and first and foremost, you know, get out there, find them, put them in your hand, uh, and uh, and give them a shot. Um, we're pretty happy with them. We think they're pretty fantastic. Now, we always give the guests an opportunity at the end. Do you have anything new or exciting that you feel like needs to be brought up coming up? We have a table full uh, of some really fun stuff that we're working on. Some of them will be some iterations and some updates on some previous firearms. And some of them will be brand new for us. Um, uh, I will tell you that, uh, keep your eyes and ears open. Uh, we've got some, I'm excited about it Mm -hmm. and I'm a dork. I know it, but we've got some really, really great stuff that we're working hard on right now. Um, that uh, that we should be able to offer that uh, will be different than what we've been able to offer in the past. And will those be coming out at that certain place in January it, or around? I am pushing my hardest <laughs> to uh, to have. We'll have some stuff there uh, that we'll be able to show. Uh, and we may not be available to the public yet, but we'll have some stuff there. Uh, if you guys have some opportunities, dealers, anybody that's there, uh, you know, shot shows are fantastic. Um, <laughs> but uh, you come and see us. Come check us out. Again, follow us. Uh, and like us, and and we'll start releasing stuff as soon as we've got it ready. Uh, and and I'm happy to have you guys put put your inputs in. Uh, you know, if there's something out there that's not out there that you want to see, let us know. You never know what we have around the corner. Yeah, I love hearing that. Well, guys, thank you for listening and watching today. Make sure to leave 
Uh, like, share, subscribe, leave a five-star review on all podcasting apps. Make sure to follow us at State of the Second, second completely spelled out. Make sure to join GOA, $25 a year. Go to gunowners.org and help us fight tyranny. Thank you again and have a great rest of your day.